0: Well, good morning and Merry Christmas, and thank you so much for being with us on this Christmas Eve here at River Oaks. Welcome also to those of you joining us online. Uh, Special welcome to visiting uh, family, guests perhaps from out of town here for the first time. Maybe you're here for the first time in a long time, and we're just especially glad you're here today. And if you live in town, I hope you'll join us next week. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes before the lighting of our candles, but I want to mention a couple things to you briefly uh, first. Next Sunday, the 31st, we'll be back to our regular uh, morning times of nine fifteen and ten forty-five, as we have today. Our special guest uh, speaker next week is Dr. Tejado Hanshell, and we are super excited about having him with us again next week. And then in January, we're going to begin a series for 4 weeks on spiritual renewal. And if you got a bulletin on the way in or you're looking at one on your phone or tablet, you'll see a number of upcoming events, but I'd especially point out the Wednesday night evening times of prayer. On the back of your bulletin, there's an outline if you'd like to follow for the message, and we always appreciate getting these little perforated strips, the cards entitled ham hey, here. We love to know you're here. and We love to get your prayer requests. Would you join me now as we pray? Father, we come together again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you so much for your presence with us. Father, I want to especially pray for those today for whom this may be a difficult week because there's a loved one who's not with them at this time of year, For others, it may be a challenging health issue or a strained or broken relationship. And for each of these, Lord, I pray that you would pour upon them the love of Jesus Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you would show yourself to be, Father, the great comforter who draws near to us and draws us near to yourself. In each of us, Lord, I pray that you would bring a rekindling of our faith, a renewal of joy. An expectation of what you have for us as we walk with you and anticipate the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Open our eyes today, Father, that we might know you better and love you more as we look into your word. And we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. This Advent season, we've been looking at the first verses of the Gospel of John, Uh, Verses 1 through 18 in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, are sometimes known as the prologue to the Gospel. That is an introductory section to the entire Gospel of John. I'll read again some verses that you've already heard this morning with the Advent wreath. We've seen them a lot at this time of year. At the very beginning, the first five verses of John read this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then verse 18, the end of the section reads, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made them known. Now, in these few verses, there is a wealth of truth about the Son of God, God the Son, the one we know as Jesus. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And this idea of life becomes a recurring theme throughout the Gospel of John. In the most well-known verse in the Gospel, uh, chapter 3 and verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And then toward the end of the gospel, John writes that he's he's put these signs together into writing so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that in believing we might have life through his name. This life is a central theme of the gospel. One of the beautiful features about the Gospel of John is that it contains seven I am statements of Jesus. That is statements in which Jesus refers to himself as I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. And in these statements, Jesus speaks more specifically about the nature of this life that he came to give. For example, after Jesus took five barley loaves and a couple of fish that were a young boy's lunch, and he multiplied the food and fed over 5,000 people, he said, I am the bread of life. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In other words, part of this, this life is that Jesus is filling the inward longing of the soul to know God. He's not talking about mere physical existence here, mere physical food when he says I am the bread of life. He's talking about life beyond our mere physical existence. In John chapter 8 and verse 12, the second of his great I am statements, Jesus spoke saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. He continues to speak about this life that he has come to give. In being the light of the world, Jesus is the one who enables us to see God as who he really is. As he would say elsewhere in the gospel, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Seeing God for who he is, we see our need in the light of who God is. And further, we see that Jesus is the one who meets that need and gives us life life everlasting. In his third great I am statement, Jesus says, I am the door. Here he's talking about sheep and shepherds and the doorway into the sheepfold or the gate into the sheepfold. And he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved. We see now that this life he comes to bring is equated with being saved. And we'll go in and out and find pasture further he says I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep now Jesus is beginning to speak about how he's going to give us life it's going to require his own life we the sheep will have life because he the great shepherd will lay down his life for us in John chapter 11 something remarkable happens Jesus raises a man from death, a man who's already been in the tomb for four days. His name was Lazarus. When Jesus arrives where Lazarus has been married, uh, buried, Lazarus' uh, sister Martha goes out and says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, he'll give it to you. And Jesus said, I am. The resurrection and the life Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Now Jesus is telling us more about this life that he came to give. It's life beyond the grave. It's not merely life on the earth. It's eternal life. Life with God. Life after death. And then Jesus says very, very clearly in John chapter 14, Where he had gathered with his followers before going to the cross and said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you, receive you to be with me. And he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Wow. Wow. That's a pretty exclusive claim for Jesus to make this statement, no one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying, I'm the way, the only way into this life. And then finally, in his seventh I am statement, he says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. He'd he'd go on to say, I'm the vine, and you, referring to his disciples, are the branches. Here he's speaking to the ongoing life that he provides us as we abide in him. He not only gives us life, he he sustains us, he nourishes us, he empowers us with his own life by the Holy Spirit who would indwell us. These seven great I Am statements all have something in common. They all speak to what Jesus came to do for us, To be the way, the truth, and the life for us. To be the bread of life for us. To be the resurrection and the life for us. To be the good shepherd for us. But there's another beautiful and critically important image used in the Gospel of John. I think it's perhaps the clearest one of all in regard to how Jesus would give us life. It's the image, I think, that speaks most specifically for how Jesus would be the way, the truth, and the life for us. And it is the image given us in John chapter 1 and verse 21, the image of Jesus as the Lamb of God. John the Baptist, not the John who's the writer of this gospel, John the Apostle, but John the Baptist, we read in verse 29 of the very first chapter, sees Jesus coming Toward him, and he says to those with him, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's Jesus' role as the Lamb of God that points to the means whereby he would bring life, whereby he would bring about all the other benefits regarding uh, himself of which he spoke in his great I am statements. The image of Jesus is the Lamb looks all the way back into the Old Testament, hundreds of years before, to one of the greatest events that ever occurred among the people of Israel. It happened when they were in bondage, in slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt, as they had been for about 430 years. They had cried out to God, and God had sent his servant Moses to deliver them. Moses had gone to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not let, the, let them go. And so through Moses, God declared a number of plagues upon the land of Egypt. The final one would be the death of the firstborn in every household. But the Israelites, the Israelites would be spared. How? Here's what God told Moses and Aaron to do. You'll see the words on the screen. Tell the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year Old, You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then <clears throat> they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentil of the houses in which they eat it. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This was the beginning of what became known as Passover, so-called because God said he would pass over the homes of the Israelites, sparing them from death, giving them life. Passover then was celebrated annually throughout the Israelites, throughout their history, one of their most important of all their feasts. But the Passover pointed to something far, far greater than itself. The shedding of the blood of an unblemished lamb pointed to Jesus, the unblemished, the sinless Son of God. That is why John the Baptist, when he saw Christ walking toward him, said, Behold, the Lamb of God. It's also why the Apostle Paul, writing some time later, wrote these words, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. It's also why the Apostle Peter, writing to the Christians, wrote, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. Christ, our Passover lamb, sacrifice for us. Why? As Peter said, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous Jesus, for the unrighteous, all of us, to bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. For us, he became the Lamb of God. The image of Jesus as the Lamb of God is found most frequently in the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, we begin reading about the the Lamb of God as John the Apostle sees this great uh, heavenly vision. And toward the end of the book, John writes these words about that which is yet future. He sees the great city of God, and he said, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Those there will be those whose names are found written in the Lamb's book of life. And in the very last chapter of the Bible, we read this, that there's a river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. The Bible says, night will be no more. They'll need no no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Jesus became the Lamb of God to bring to us all the benefits of life, not only here and now as our good shepherd, but as the great shepherd of the sheep, the Lamb of God for all eternity, with whom believers will dwell forever. Today, as we remember Jesus coming to be the Lamb of God, we're going to remember what he did and the way he instructed us to do when he met with his disciples before he went to the cross. Jesus had gathered with them in an upper room, and he said, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, before I suffer. And he took some bread. After giving thanks, he gave it to him, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And then he took the cup, and he said, this is the cup that's poured out for you. It's the new covenant in my blood. On the eve of the Passover celebration, Jesus instituted, Christ our Passover lamb instituted what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. Uh, If you did not get one of these cups on the way in and you would like to participate in communion, I'm sure our ushers would gladly bring you one if you would keep your hand raised up for just a couple moments as they are Uh, looking around in the meantime i'm going to read the apostle paul's words of instruction about the lord's supper we read for i received from the lord what i also delivered to you that the lord jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he'd given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Isn't that a remarkable thing? You take the bread and the cup, you're making a visible proclamation that you've received the benefits of Jesus' coming. Paul goes on to give a word of warning then, a caution Whoever therefore eats their bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink the cup. I think Paul's words about examining ourselves point to the seriousness of what we're about to do. This is not a mere religious ritual, something you just do because you're in church on a Sunday. It is an expression of genuine trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Now, we have many guests here today, and I would say all are welcome to take communion here. You don't have to be a member of our church. This may be your first time here. All are welcome. But in light of Paul's words, I would say this. I think it's important if we are to take the Lord's Supper that we do it rightly and that we do it sincerely and that we do it having genuinely turned from sin and pl- having placed our faith in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, understanding what we're doing, making a visible proclamation that we have received the benefits of his body and of his, of his blood. We have more children than usual with us today, and sometimes <clears throat> the question arises, when should my child take communion? I think children will value the sacrament of communion and benefit from it most by waiting until you know that they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and they don't see it as a, as a mere snack during church, but have genuinely placed faith in Jesus. This may open a great opportunity for you to have a good conversation about them, and if our pastors and elders can help with that, we're certainly very, very happy to. But would you join me now as we take a moment and pray and um, examine ourselves as the Scripture instructs us to do. Oh, Father, how we thank you that you so love the world you gave your only begotten Son, that Christ became for us the Lamb of God, slain for our sins, that we might be redeemed ransomed, brought eternally into your presence, that we might stand before you uncondemned and call you our Father who art in heaven. Father, as we partake of communion, I pray you'd bring all the benefits you intend to your people, renewal of faith, encouragement to the Holy Spirit, your healing grace poured out upon us. Speak to us now as we wait in silence and allow you to search our hearts. Amen.